0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Churches today are under assault. Today, our guest, Carrie Gordon, will reveal the enemy within that is attacking our churches. Staying informed is important. Knowing what is happening and why it is important is vital. You can stay informed and know what is happening through the lens of Scripture with the resources that are found on our website, swrc.com Timely books and DVDs from the top Bible prophecy teachers swrc.com Why has our godly biblical upbringing been erased from our hearts, our homes, minds, and nation? Today's guest, Carrie Gordon, believes it's simply due to the fact that the church has been invaded by a massive amount of unbelievers.
1: Well, welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a very special program today with a very special guest talking about a very special motion picture, Enemies Within the Church. As I do my daily radio program called Hello World, a program of news, information, and comment, so many people said, hey, have you seen Enemies Within the Church? Then they started sending me little snippets and then the entire DVD. I have several now. So I was privileged and excited at the same time when Southwest said, let's talk to Kerry Gordon out there in Sioux City, Iowa. And so I said, let's do it. I would love to share some thoughts with him and find out exactly where he's coming from with this motion picture, Enemies Within the Church. Pastor Gordon, welcome to the program today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate
2: an opportunity to reach your audience, too. Ultimately, with the gospel of Jesus Christ that he saves, he heals, he delivers, and he turns people's lives around if they'll just yield to
1: him. Absolutely. I didn't know what I was getting into, enemies within the church. I thought, well, maybe he's talking about a Jezebel in there or some deacons gone bad or something like that. (laughs) I I, I guess I was really surprised. Uh, Let me just say this from the outset. A couple of people said, I think you're going to find some sort of a tie with uh, George Soros and the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. I thought, oh boy, this should be interesting. But I appreciate oh again you. How long did it take you to uh, research this material? I know you're just one of uh, uh, several people that were involved. Am I correct there? That's right. We had a whole movie team, and I've got our director, Judd Saul, and one of the co-producers,
2: which is Trevor Loud, and, and myself. And I primarily was the face of the movie and did a lot of the writing and sort of the, the skeleton of the documentary, the layout and the agenda and how we would – be able to take a lot of information and you know boil it down to, to something with a punch that people could understand if they got done. What happened to America? I think we all look at America and say, something's terribly wrong. Everything's a mess. Things are getting crazier by the day. Why? That was really why we made the movie. It took us three and a half years to answer your question. We traveled all over the United States. We sat down with some of the smartest people in the country. And we were searching for the answer. What happened to America? What happened to the country I grew up in? It is nothing like the country I grew up in now. Everything is different. There has to be a reason. And of course, as a minister for the last 29 years, my grandfather was a preacher before me, and then my father preached for 50 years, and this is my 29th year. So I'm three generations in the ministry. I love Jesus. I love the church. I love America. But, you know, I know. Everything, ultimately, every problem in the entire world, ultimately, is theological. So we knew if we're going to answer the question, what happened to America, we've got to dig down and figure out what went wrong with our theology. And that's what we do in the film. By the time you get to the end of it, you can stream it at enemieswithinthechurch.com. By the time you get to the end of that movie, you're going to understand What happened to America? But it's not just a complaint. The movie's not just a complaint. Some people have said, boy, it was hard to watch that, but I'm glad I made it to the end. And I have to encourage everybody. It is difficult to watch because we have to deal with a lot of ugly stuff. But if you'll stick with it to the end, we end with hope, with real hope. And we have a plan. We have something called Four Steps to Save America. So it's not just a complaint. It's an action plan. Here's the problem. This is how it happened originally. Here's what we can do to fix it.
1: Enemies within the church available at swrc.com. Get your own copy or call 1-800-652-1144. That's swrc.com to get enemies within the church. Pastor Gordon, this is such a an important Message in movie form for us to to hear about today and to, to think about. No question about it. Uh, hard to watch. It's just it's, it seems to be the age today. I, I'm just amazed that. Why don't people just get up and preach the word? We have entertainment. We have so much of the world coming into the church, and it's being accepted, especially by our young people today, and I think that's kind of shocking. I'm I'm obviously older, but I'm still sharp enough to know what's happening. I was involved in rock radio and television and trying to keep up with everything, even on our daily radio show. What in the world is happening to the church today? It's changing, and those of us who are older, we just can't get our, our mind around it. Right. And I think that we do a really good
2: job of digging into the historical things that happened in our Christian theology that caused everything to get like it is. There are three big ideas that we introduce to the audience that are like $50 words. And the movie really hammers on those three issues It's really the root and core of where we started to get off. And it started to happen just 100 short years after the Reformation in the middle 1500s. But, you know, as an example of one of those problems, ultimately, you could simplify it. Probably it's oversimplification, but you could say the biggest problem we have is how we approach, how we define, and what we really believe should be the truth. And we have a culture that really hates the truth, ultimately. They insist that truth is relative, and it isn't. It's absolutely inflexible and objective. I use this illustration all the time. When Hugo Chavez died years ago down in Venezuela, the law of gravity held him in his casket with the same authority that it's holding me up here in Sioux City, Iowa in my chair while I'm talking to you on this show. And there are laws we did not create. There are laws we can only discover. And that has moral implications and implications upon society. There are good laws and bad laws. Everything ultimately boils down to how we handle and define truth. America doesn't think truth is objective and inflexible. They think you have your truth, I've got my truth. And unfortunately, the church has played a significant theological role in the unhinging of the philosophy of just basic truth itself. And we've replaced the inflexible reality of truth with a fake love. And everything is shaped by emotions and what feels the best. And the church is absolutely guilty, ultimately, of allowing that to happen. People are shocked to find out, like if they go to the first five books of the Bible. The Bible only mentions in the first five books about God loving people one time in the whole first five books. And they're shocked to find out if you keep going. You get to the historical books. You know, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. The love of God for humanity isn't mentioned a single time. Then you get to the five major prophets. And I say major. That means they're the long, comprehensive books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. The love of God for mankind is not mentioned a single, solitary time. And you get to the shorter books, or we call them the minor prophets. The only person in all 12 of those books in the Old Testament that discusses God's love for people is Hosea. No one else says anything about it. And you say that, people say, well, what about the New Testament? When you get to the Gospel of Matthew, it says nothing. You get to the Gospel of Mark, it says not one thing about God loving the world. You get to the Gospel of Luke, it says nothing. You get to the Gospel of John. It mentions God loving people one time in chapter 3. And chapter 3, John three sixteen, Chapter 3 is really the chapters about the wrath of God. Then you get to the book of Acts. It's written by Luke the physician. Chronicles the history of the whole early church as they preached the authentic, true gospel of the Bible that Jesus gave them. And it doesn't mention the love of God a single solitary time. Then you get to the epistles. There's one mention in one verse mentioning the love of God for humanity and the book of Romans. The rest of the book never brings it up again. Then you get to Ephesians chapter 3, and it's only in that single chapter it briefly mentions God's love for people. The rest of the book says nothing about it. When you get to the final book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is so loving. This is what everyone always emphasizes, and he is. Yes, God loves us. Yes, Jesus is loved, but isn't it interesting? It's just a fact. There's not a single solitary mention of the love of God for the world and the entire concluding book of the New Testament in our Bible. So the bottom line is we have overemphasized something the Bible does not emphasize nearly like people think. And when you overemphasize, that topic it means you must be underemphasizing something else that is the core i think of everything that's wrong in the world and that is the problem with the church ultimately from a theological standpoint we do not understand what the bible teaches about love and love is the most important thing taught in the bible and why are we abusing it why can't we just accept the reality of what it is, instead of turning it into a humanist love that's not connected to reality.
1: That's excellent, my brother. Pastor Kerry Gordon, Cornerstone World Outreach, Enemies Within the Church, a two-hour motion picture that is just really fantastic. And so many of our young people today, we're having trouble reaching them, and I don't understand, again, their Marxist leanings, which I'm sure is certainly moving into the church, a thing called social justice. Can you address that a bit? I mean, I don't get it myself. I, mean, I understand uh, some of it, but like you say, we're replacing so much of the Bible with uh, we're going to take care of people and love people and do the right thing but we're not. Exactly.
2: Well, the young people are upset about all the right things. They see people are hurting and they think someone should do something. They see injustices that are legitimately wrong of people being mistreated because of, you know, whatever, the way they look, where they're from, what religion, what faith, uh, maybe they were born on the wrong side of town. They see injustice. They see no solutions. They see that the previous generations didn't succeed because the problems are growing worse so they're upset about all the right things they just have all the wrong answers and that's the problem if the church would do its job instead of trying to entice and attract those young people that are upset about all the wrong things in the world that they wish would be fixed if they instead of trying to make you know make themselves more attractive to angry and angry generation If they would present the truth of the Bible and the real solutions, I think we could have a third great awakening and young people would want the authentic gospel. They just need to hear it. And it seems that it's rarely ever given. So what happens is the Marxist sees the anger of the young people and they exploit the good intentions of the younger people like for example jesus taught we should care for the poor who, who wouldn't want to care for the poor that's a christian we love people we care about people well the marxist rides on that good motive of wanting to help the poor and they provide a solution that's absolutely antithetical to the scripture basically the the institution in the bible that god has ordained to punish theft is the government and the Bible supports private property ownership. Well, the Marxists is against private property ownership. They want to abolish it. So they convert the government, God's instrument to punish theft. They convert the government into the greatest instrument of theft. And they call that wealth redistribution. So wealth redistribution is a false solution for a real problem. Poverty is a problem. You care about people. Well, what does the Bible say we ought to do to help the poor people? well marxism does the opposite of what the bible says and you can see how they entice young people because they provide emotion based solutions that seem good and the kids are they're they're buying into it by the droves some of the statistics that are out there are absolutely frightening that a mass majority of millennials and that would be someone in the, about the age of 43 44 years old and younger That that group, that demographic of American voters, these are registered voters, overwhelmingly, like around 70% of that group, wish that the United States was socialist, even fascist or communist, but they do not like free markets. That's a really terrifying harbinger of where we're headed as a nation.
1: When did this all get started? I mean, it kind of, I guess, has taken me by surprise, and I'm sure many in our audience are going to say the very same thing. Where did this transition come about and, and boy we're heading down a bad path here?
2: Well, ultimately it happened in the Garden of Eden, but I don't think we have time to go back all the way there. No. So I not. would I would point <laughs> I would point to eighteen forty eight when Karl Marx intellectually divided everybody on the planet into two groups that he could pit against each other, and that is the operandus of Marxism is to split, divide, and conquer. And Jesus talked about a house being divided against itself can't stand. And so he originally divided people between workers and owners and then created contention as a means to deconstruct society. And then after he got the fights going, then he'd come in and offer the solution. So he creates the fight and then brings the solution later. And of course, it's a false solution of wealth redistribution. Well, it worked really well. And so he, you know, Marx dies. And then the next generation said, hey, you know, Karl Marx is onto something. He split people into two groups. Let's try three. And so in the 1930s, they came up, the Marxists did, with a new version, and they called it triple oppression, you'll recognize this this terminology, and they split people into the three groups of classism, and that that's the old Marxism 1.0. Classism, racism, and sexism, and that became the mantra of the progressives and the sort of a Marxism 2.0 born in the 1930s, and that carried us up to now. In 2023, we have something we call cultural Marxism, and they said, hey, Karl Marx knocked it out of the park, splitting people into two groups hostile toward one another in the 1840s. And then in the 1930s, look at what we did. We had three groups. Let's try never-ending groups. And so cultural Marxism today is a way to divide and conquer society. It's deconstruction so that you can reshape society back into a communist utopia. That's their ultimate goal. So now look at how we get people mad at each other and we teach victimization. We say there's there's race, there's economic status, there's your geography, your sexual fetishes, your sexual gender. Physical disabilities, religion, education, how old are you? They have this thing called ageism. You're supposed to be a victim because you're older or you're a victim because you're younger. It just depends. You're just always a victim no matter what your age. It's ageism. And then there's uh, nationality. And the weirdest one, this popped up just a few months ago, and it's number 11 on my list. They say species. And believe it or not, you can be any species that you want now, because it's not just about the transgender movement. Well, the transhumanist movement is the real goal here. And they're not going to stop with men pretending to be women or women pretending to be men. These are evolutionists and that is their theology. And they believe they're transcending from being human to being something higher and greater than has ever been seen. And so you all, you have this transhumanist movement where you have people who have identified as aliens now. And they're saying, I'm not even human. It's far beyond the construct of gender. And this is all preparing society for the transhumanist movement where we're going to supposedly upload our spirits into the singularity, which is, it started out as the World Wide Web. It's turning into artificial intelligence, but we want it to be a sentient intelligent being and you have this war among the transhumanists where elon musk is concerned about the dangers of artificial intelligence but look carefully at his solution His solution is to upload you and so that there's a, a humanity or a soul of humanity that's inside that digital existence of the singularity and As long as we make it sufficiently human, it won't kill all of us. And this is what we're dealing with. It's like a whole other world of evolutionary theory. And that's really what this movie leads us toward and gives solutions for. It's a huge subject. It's a massive movement. Most Christians are living in a praise and worship
1: bubble, and they don't really realize what's going on. Another valuable voice in America today, Pastor Kerry Gordon of the Cornerstone World Outreach Church, Sioux City, Iowa, talking about his movie Enemies Within the Church, and it is fantastic. Tomorrow we're going to talk, well, we're going to name some names and discuss some uh, different groups on tomorrow's program, and uh, it's shocking. This information is just such an eye-opener, and you need to see Enemies Within the Church. Pastor Gordon, thanks so much for the program today. Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity to talk with your audience.
0: More details from Kerry Gordon on the Enemies Within the Church are coming up on our next program. Today, we're highlighting an important collection of resources dealing with today's topic. Enemies Within is a collection of two books and a DVD. The books by Billy Crone will equip you with the groundbreaking historical data showing how non-Christians have not only infiltrated the church today, but they are controlling it, turning it into a godless enterprise. The DVD, entitled Enemies Within the Church, is an educational, historical, and evidence-based movie that provokes a passionate return to Orthodox Christian faithfulness. The movie heralds a clarion call for Christians to turn away from popular yet errant beliefs held in contradiction to carefully interpreted holy scriptures. Enemies Within the Church books and DVD are available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Pastor Larry is here now, ready to answer a question about guilt. Pastor Larry, what is the difference between true guilt and
3: false guilt? Guilt is a powerful motivator. High-pressure salesmen motivate people with guilt. A few years ago, a 13-year-old girl sold 11,200 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. That, of course, is a lot of cookies. She was asked how she was able to sell so many Girl Scout cookies, and she said, you have to look people in the eye and make them feel guilty. Well, that's high-pressure salesmanship. When people feel guilty, you can squeeze them like you squeeze an orange and get some orange juice. False guilt is a feeling of shame and personal regret in your heart that God did not put there. All feelings of shame and personal regret are not necessarily from God. False guilt is often called pseudo-guilt. The word pseudo in pseudo-guilt comes from the Greek word pseudos, which means false. False apostles are often called pseudo-apostles, which means they are really not the apostles of Jesus Christ. I want to give a couple of examples of false guilt. I buy an expensive jacket at a reduced price, but feel guilty that I don't like it and don't wear it. Now, that's not really guilt. I may regret that decision and am convinced I use poor judgment, but that is really not guilt. Here's another example of false guilt. I pay a friend a visit, feeling guilty for not visiting him or even calling him on the phone. Then when I'm ready to leave, my friend says, leaving so soon, and I feel really guilty. But once again, that is really not guilt. Here's another example of false guilt. A person says they saw me look at them, but I did not speak to them, nor did I even say hello. They're pretty unhappy with me. But honestly, I do not remember seeing them at all. I shouldn't feel guilty about that. Here's another example of false guilt. A church tells me that the Lord has told them that they should ask me to come and preach at their church. I feel guilty for saying no, but then I feel guilty when I say yes, because it will mean more time away from home. I should not really feel guilty about something like that. We should always be sensitive to the needs of others, and we certainly want to keep our friendships warm and alive, but one of the reasons I don't use Facebook is that keeping up with everyone often becomes overwhelming. I don't want to feel guilty about something over which I should not feel guilty. Now let's look at true guilt. I consider true guilt to be the same as conviction of sin which is what the Holy Spirit does, as we are told in John 16 and verse 8. To put this in biblical perspective, let's think of the two stages of salvation. Salvation comes to us in two stages. First of all, it comes to us in our conversion. When we are born again, we are, quote, saved, but we are still not perfect. A born-again person is a saved person, but definitely not a perfect person. The second stage is glorification. When we are resurrected and enter into the final or the eternal state, that is glorification. It is only then that we are perfect and have become all that God would have us to become. Until we are glorified, God will convict us of sin, meaning there are things that will cause us to feel guilty. Conviction of sin is one of the ways that God reminds us of this and that we are accountable to Him. That is really important. In between salvation and glorification is sanctification, a continuing process whereby we grow up and mature spiritually. While we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we will feel legitimate guilt. Since we are not perfect until we are glorified, sanctification will often be accompanied with feelings of true guilt, and that's good. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to know when we fail the Lord, when we fail to obey his commands, when we fail to do the things that he has commanded us to do. So what should we do when we know we have violated a commandment or a precept of God and are experiencing true guilt? Well, 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means to say the same thing about our sins that God says about them. It means we make no excuses. We do not say, Lord, everyone else is doing that. No, we agree with him. And when we agree with him, we are confessing our sins. Now, here's what often happens with too many Christians. They can't forgive themselves. They say they believe the bible they repeat first john 1 verse 9 but they still can't forgive themselves we must never forget first john 1 verse 7 the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sin so friends we must accept god's forgiveness it is total forgiveness if god forgives us we should forgive ourselves we have to believe the bible we have to believe what the bible says about forgiveness by faith We have to accept what he gives us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we do that, we have freedom, liberty, and joy. True guilt, when we respond in a proper way, when we yield ourselves to God, is a wonderful experience. We become vessels of truth, indwelt by the Holy Spirit who has free reign in our lives. Enemies Within is a collection of two books
0: and a DVD. The books by Billy Crone will equip you with groundbreaking data showing how non-Christians have not only infiltrated the church today, but they are controlling it, turning it into a godless enterprise. The DVD entitled Enemies Within the Church is an educational, historical, and evidence-based movie that provokes a passionate return to Orthodox Christian faithfulness. Enemies Within the Church books and DVD are available today. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, Carrie Gordon will return with more insight and information on the enemies that are within the church. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners
2: like you. Visit swrc.com.